0: Good morning. So this morning we're going to be reading from two different passages in Hebrews. and We're going to start off in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to chapter 11, verse 2, which is on page 1007 of your church Bibles. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Um, our next readings over at the page on 1008, um, and it's chapter 11, verses 23 um, to 31. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies.
1: Thank you very much. Please do keep that passage, the second passage, open in front of you, page 1008. Um, The first passage was for some background, but the second one is the one we're looking at. And Let me say hello, good morning, it's good to see you. Uh, My name's Roger, if you don't know me, I'm one of the ministers here, and we're really glad you are with us. uh, For what is quite a um, a serious passage, I think, Uh, we're going to be thinking about the kind of choices we make in life, and some of the hard choices we might need to make in life. so I don't know if you've ever come across the phrase, stop, think, choose. Stop, think, choose. Um, uh, I came across it first um, as an um, uh, exercise for impulsive children. Uh, so they're just about to tuck into their 10th Easter egg on Easter Monday, and you say, stop, think, Is that the best way you want to plough through your chocolate supply? Uh, Choose, make a good choice. Um, I've recently seen it um, in an NHS video um, to the public uh, from an area that was kind of overwhelmed and they were trying to stop people going to A&E. And so they said, if you have a medical problem, stop think what's the most useful kind of place to go for helping this particular issue and then choose um, and basically call 111. It's always called cool, 111. One, one. Um, but stop, think, choose is not a bad phrase to capture what we're looking at this morning in verses 23 to 27. We see people who are thinking and choosing what to do. They've stopped and thought and make, made a decision. And I would say right up front, some of these decisions are serious issues might well be that this talk is a pretty sobering talk for many of us. Just have a look at the choice that Moses' parents had in verse 23. Moses' parents were told by Pharaoh, the king and superpower of the time, that they should terminate their child. What are they going to do? Stop, think, choose. Obey the Pharaoh, seems to have all the power or do what is right despite the pressure. Then Moses, when he's grown up, that's verse 23, Moses when he's grown up, verses 24 onwards, would he live for the riches and the status and the pleasures of being the prince of Egypt or instead choose to associate himself with God's weak, despised people? And then in verse 27, would he be willing to leave Egypt at the exodus? Again, prioritizing allegiance to God over the will of the scary superpower king of the day. These are tough choices, serious choices. That's what we're looking at this morning. And we're going to look at not just what choices they made, but how and why they made them. How and and why did these these believers make these choices? So that we might be equipped to live by faith like they did. So can I encourage us as we begin to to reflect on the kind of choices that we face? I think there'll be all sorts of them, but, but be thinking about particularly areas where there's a clash between what allegiance to Jesus would mean on the one hand, and what the culture is saying or telling us to do on the other. It might be about whether we're willing to be known publicly as a Christian, at work or with neighbours or at the golf club. It might be whether we're willing to be known as associated with a Bible-believing church. Oh, you're not, you're not one of those Bible-teaching kind of churches, are you? You don't believe what those high, high-profile Christians who are in the news believe, do you? It might be what we do when we're asked to do something that God says in the Bible is wrong to do. I think there are huge pressures in this culture at the moment on Christians who are serving in education, in medicine, in politics, and in third sector work, charity work. Sometimes there, making the hard choice to say no to something that's wrong could really affect our career. It could be truly costly to our reputation or our financial prospects. I think these choices could be kind of long-scale, big-scale, long-term ones, like how we use our retirement or where we decide to live and why or whether we seek promotion or whatever. But can also be the micro-decisions, the kind of daily battle-type decisions. What are we going to do with our computer browser this week? All of which means today's passage is, I think, as close to the sharp end of being a believer as you can get I'm hoping that this will lead to a lot of conversations. I think it needs to lead to a lot of conversations uh, afterwards, we always hope that, but, but onwards, over lunch and coffee. Um, how we apply these principles to the choices we are facing. What it looks like to be faithful to Jesus in our particular situations. And I'm aware that some of these issues are very sensitive, very personal, very close to home. Some of us will have made choices in the past that we now regret. And my encouragement is to not face that alone, to not face any of this alone, but to talk to one another. There are people on the team, um, men and women and um, small group leaders, those on the pastoral care team, elders, ministry team, staff team, any of us would love to chat through any of these issues. But for now, let me pray as we turn to God's word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do face so many decisions in this world and some of them are really hard. Some of them are costly. Thank you that you've promised that your word is a light to our path. And so we pray this morning you would help to shape and mould us to live by faith, to live the way you want us to. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just before we get into the details of these hard choices in verses 23 to 27, I do just want to give us a quick recap of where we've been so far in Hebrews 11, because we had Easter, I don't know if you noticed, but it did happen. Um, So it's a while since we've been in in Hebrews. Um, So just that first reading we had was to kind of remind us what's been going on. And Hebrews 11 began by giving us the definition of faith. What is faith? And it's living with trust or hope in something we can't see. That's the basic definition of faith. And what does God think of faith? Well, it's the only life that God commends all the way through the Bible. Faith is how to please God. In fact, if you flip back to chapter 11, verse 6, which kind of summarizes it nicely for us, chapter 11, verse 6. Thank you for the Russell. It's always good to hear. Chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Trust in the unseen, the unseen present, that God is there, even though we can't see him with our physical eyes. And trust in the future, the unseen promises, hope. It's not that Christian faith is a blind leap in the dark. Uh, if, If you think that at the moment, please come to Hope Explored. There's lots of evidence to take Jesus seriously. But faith is on the basis of that evidence, trusting God for stuff we can't see, stuff He's told us that we can't see. That's where Hebrews 11 started. But then the week after that, and we got, and it ends like that as well. Oh, sorry, just verse 39 picks up those themes again. Um, but then we got on to the specific content we're supposed to trust God for. So what are these unseen things we're to trust God for? Well, his promises, particularly his promises to Abraham. This is verses eight to 22. Um, And I'm sorry, I tried to attempt it all in one go last time. Um, It was a lot to think about. Uh, But we saw these promises, particularly of a better place and a great people. That's God's promises to Abraham. I'll be your God and I'll bless you with a better place to live in the future and a great people to live with and it happens twice a great place, a better place and a great people that's where we've got to so far in Hebrews 11 but now we get to the difficult choices faith is trusting God in the unseen faith is trusting God's promises that you can't see and now faith will involve hard choices now costly decisions right now Living by faith, in fact, will mean radical decisions um, because we trust God. You'll see on the back of the outline, there's a back of the sheet, there's an outline of where we're going. We got basically three questions um, and so three points to answer them. Three questions. What does living by faith involve here? And secondly, how and why does anyone actually live like that? Like, how do you do that? And then question three, is it really worth it? What does it involve? How does anyone actually choose to do this? And is it really worth it? So first off then, what does living by faith involve? Well, making radical, costly decisions in allegiance to Jesus Christ. Verses 23 to 27 is where we're focused here. Um, That is the block. Uh, Verse 28 belongs with the next bit, even even though the English paragraphs are different. But 23 to 27 is the block. You can see that because verse 23 and verse 27 match each other. Just have a look down. They're both about the anger of a king and not being afraid of a king, not being afraid of defying the king of Egypt. That's what Moses' parents faced and that's what he faced. Um, So we're going to look at that first and then we'll look at the bit in the middle. So living by faith then means radical, costly decisions in allegiance to Christ, even when it means saying no to a scary, visible authority. Or in other words, living by faith sometimes means defying what the government says, or what a human authority, the boss, says. Now we need to be careful here because overall, the New Testament encourages Christians to have a stance towards government of submission. We're to respect the authorities God has put in place. Romans 13, we're to submit to our government. Uh, 1 Peter 2, we're to submit to the emperor, honour the authorities. Even if they're not particularly nice and not treating us particularly well, our basic approach should be submit to the authorities. God's put them there. We're to be good citizens generally, good workers willing to submit. And I do think we need to still grow in that. I think lots of us have breathed the air of our anti-authority culture. We love a good moan about our leaders, um, and lots of us are quite individualistic, kind of, I should do what I want. Who cares what the, the government says? I can speed, or whatever. I think we do need to grow in submission. But nevertheless, that's the bulk of the New Testament's teaching, but there is sometimes, there are moments when human authorities, whether government, or employment authorities, or education authorities, or medical authorities, Step over a line and tell us to do something that a Christian simply cannot do. That can be as straightforward and seemingly small scale as telling us to lie in the workplace. I'll just tell him I'm not here. Or as significant as encouraging us to take the life of a defenseless child as is the case here with Pharaoh seeking to get rid of these little ones. Now in Exodus 1 and 2, where this story comes from, uh, Pharaoh is um, threatened by the, the, the Hebrew population growth and so he's, try, he's, he's, he's ordered that every male child must be killed. It's not quite like that in our culture. But it is a shocking fact that in our culture, Already at the beginning of life, life in the womb, and increasingly in discussions about the end of life with euthanasia, there is significant pressure on Christian politicians and teachers and doctors and just Christian believers to toe the line and be willing to take life away. And living by faith says... However scary or powerful the visible earthly authorities are, whether in government or the workplace or in the law, our allegiance to God and Christ is higher. Notice just from the verse 27 example, that sometimes this, when you stop, think and choose, sometimes These decisions are taken in full awareness at how much anger might be caused from the authority figures. It's one of the features, I think, of our culture, a strange feature, actually, uh, of how self-righteous and how self-confident it's becoming on certain moral issues. We don't believe in God anymore, we don't believe in some kind of absolute truth, But actually, when it comes to certain moral values or human rights, uh, it can't even be discussed. There would be outrage at a Christian stating what the Bible says. That means if Christians are so bold as to suggest that life in the womb should be protected, or if Christian teachers ask to not directly promote sexual or gender ideologies uncritically to young children, as if it can't be questioned. Or if ind- individuals speak up in public on an issue about how transgender rights are encroaching on the protection of women in same-sex spaces, the, the, the backlash can be not just, hang on, stop, let's discuss that, let's talk about it. No, the backlash can be outright rage, bullying, actually, in the public sphere, the anger of the powerful. But Moses' his parents, and Moses himself even though they knew that this might cost them their lives, it might lead to real anger against them from the powerful, they still stopped, thought, and chose to do what God said. They trust that living by faith, trusting the unseen God and what he says is always the thing to do, however costly it is even if it does mean saying no to scary authorities. Now, let me say, I do realise this is not always black and white. It's often complex in a a workplace or in a a particular um, part of society. We're not the moral police for those who don't trust in Jesus. Uh, It's complex, and that's why we need to talk about it. We need to discuss this kind of thing and and help help each other with it. But nevertheless, what was driving their choices was not fear, fear of the authorities and their power, but a desire to live for for God. We might well think, well, wow, (laughs) well, they're heroes, but I could never do that. I mean, I'm, I'm not that kind of person. Actually, Moses wasn't the bravest kind of person either. And we'll come back to in point two, how do you actually do this? But for now, I want to look at the next few verses, verses 24 to 26, because there's more than one costly, hard decision to to look at here. Um, Verses 23 and 27 are about fear, the cost of defying authority. But actually, verses 24 to 26 are about temptation and the pull of what the world can offer. think there are three areas here that Moses had to grapple with. Uh, Verse 24, first off, is about reputation. So verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. So Moses, uh, he he did survive and he was adopted into the um, royal family of Egypt. He had the opportunity to stay the prince of Egypt. All he had to do was stay quiet about God and his people. But Moses had a stop, think, choose moment, and he chose to say yes to God's people, to being associated with God's people, even if it meant loss of faith, even if it meant being known as, oh, you're one of those Bible types, rather than known as, oh, you're the prince of Egypt. Obviously, that kind of decision still faces Christian believers today. It did for the Hebrew church, actually, that first reading we had. Uh, They'd already found their reputation being attacked publicly, maligned, reproach. Uh, Sometimes directly because of what they were doing, but sometimes because they partnered with and associated with others. Some of the Hebrew church were tempted to not come to church anymore, getting out of the habit of meeting together. Why? Well, because that's where it's visible that we're part of this. It's not easy to stand up and and become members publicly. It's actually, I'm with them. In certain countries where there's an underground church, that is the moment when the target gets put on your back. And even for us, it may not quite be Nigeria or Afghanistan, but still we might get the snide comment, oh, you're not seriously one of them, are you? That's the challenge. Was Moses willing to side with God's people, even if it costs some reputation? cost him the power and the status he enjoyed." we can chat about where we face this kind of choice. I think it is there when we choose whether to tell our colleagues, neighbors, contacts that we're Christian. When we're asked, what did you do at the weekend? And do we kind of sidestep round church? Or or more sharply, there's a conversation about a controversial topic uh, that's in public debate at the moment, where biblical truth is relevant. And you have to choose kind of, I mean, it's always hard. What do I say, I, I want to commend Jesus, and how do I talk about him in this issue? It's always hard, but do we just try and get out of the room, or not even talk? So easy to try and keep our heads down. Or subtly put some water between us and them. Well, I don't really go to that kind of church. Actually, we do believe the same things. By faith, Moses chose to say no to his reputation. He'd rather be known as a son of God than a son of Pharaoh, one of God's people. That was not the only thing he said no to. though. That's verse 24. Now verse 25. Choosing to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's really striking this. This is the second thing he said no to, the pleasures of sin. I wonder if you would expect the Bible to say that sin is pleasurable sometimes. Not long term. But fleeting. There is a fleeting pleasure sometimes in certain sins. That's one of the reasons temptation is hard to resist because actually it would feel good, at least briefly. The student who's tempted to go with the flow at the sports club drinking, uh, tempted to drink far too much not just because of the peer pressure though there's a lot of that, the mockery and the insults if he stops uh, but also because actually in the short term it might feel good to drink one too many or lots too many. Likewise, Christians facing decisions about sexual purity. It's not just that the world is saying, do what feels good, sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want, however you want. It's also that there's a a pull of the pleasurable in the short term. Those of us who are married, it means saying no to all sexual expression or any kind of coveting or imagination outside your partner. Those of us who are not married and God's definition of marriage, God's design for marriage is a lifelong commitment with one man and one woman, even though Scotland's definition legally is different. It means saying no to sex in any form. That's what living by faith looks like. And that is saying no to some fleeting pleasures of sin, as well as the rejection and insult from the world. Still a virgin. What a prude. But actually, that's not the only hard choice Moses made. Like I said, there's a lot of big issues in here. That's why we need to talk about them. The third thing um, for Moses facing was verse 26, Say no to the treasure of Egypt, the wealth of the world. And this often is a direct consequence of taking a stand Um, so uh, Christians who are openly Christians who who, um, take stands on ethical issues in the workplace or in frontline politics or in medicine or education or the charity sector sometimes they are shown the door or they're overlooked for promotion or they're barred from entering roles sometimes the mud sticks on their reputation oh you're a troublemaker you're not the kind of person we we think would make a good head teacher or uh, department head or consultant or first minister we don't want those kind of views around here but the thing with Moses is he was aware of all that he could see what he was going to lose when he stopped and thought and he still chose to go Christ's way he thought to himself even if it does mean losing my (laughs) reputation my wealth and my career prospects I'd rather be known as a child of God than the son of Pharaoh's daughter and so he made the radical decision to prioritise allegiance to Christ, whatever the cost now. I've been thinking what, what we'd do if we were um, chatting to Moses' parents or to him over coffee one morning at Chalmers. Or if, if one of them were part of our small group. Just imagine uh, Moses' parents say, well, we're, we're actually planning to break the law. Well, in fact, we are breaking the law at the moment. We might get killed for it. What would you advise? Would you encourage them that that is the right thing to do? Or would you say, well, hang on, no, we don't have a choice here. I mean, our hands are tied. Pharaoh's ruled. You can't oppose Pharaoh. Moses, in one of our Bible studies, says, I'm going to make a stand. I've decided I'm going to leave Egypt with God's people, whether Pharaoh agrees or not even if it means I lose my role as a prince, even if it means I lose everything financially, my reputation, even if it makes him more angry and he chases us in a rage with an entire army. I wonder what we'd say to Moses in that small group. Oh, hang on, Moses, hang on, steady on. it's, It's great having believers in high places, so couldn't you just keep quiet? I mean, there's no point you speaking up, because you're just going to lose. You're going to lose all those privileges. We don't want you to rock the boat. I mean, think how much you could give to church if you kept all the wealth of Egypt. I have heard Christians sometimes talking like this. Um, Back in the city of London, sometimes people would justify kind of double life. They'd be kind of Christian at the weekend and totally hidden during the week. A very different person. And they would say things like this when they were young. They'd say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to be kind of public as a Christian while I'm so junior at work. I'm not going to mention any priority I, I have about getting to church or my small group or, or even talk about Jesus, so that I believe in him, because it would affect my ability to climb the ladder. But once I'm nearer the top of the pile, then I'll have lots more freedom. I'll have a platform to speak about Jesus and, and tell people about him. Except, of course, when you meet that person who's climbed a bit higher now, they then felt, well, there's too much to lose now. I couldn't lose it all by risking speaking about Jesus. Isn't it great to have Christians at this kind of level? Uh, Maybe I'll be more open about a Christian when I retire. Except, of course, if you meet them in retirement, by then the habits of being a different person during the week and hiding faith are so well established, it's really hard to change. What matters is the choices we make today. Today, if we hear his voice, don't harden our hearts. Today, don't be taken in by the deceitfulness of sin. At which point, if you're anything like me, you might be thinking, how on earth does anyone do this? and just say, I, I realise it, it, you may feel like, well, it's easy, it's easy me saying this, I work for a church, and it's fine. I, can, I can do what I want following Jesus here. Um, actually, I do grapple with this. I think there is legislation going through um, the system at the moment that would make it extremely challenging to um, speak freely about a number of issues. Uh, and so as preachers, I think we will face this kind of choice, hard choice. That's why we need to support each other and talk to each other. But the question is, how does anyone do it? This is our second point. How does anyone make and actually choose to make this kind of choice? Um, the idea of putting your foot down and saying no to a scary authority. Uh, the idea of um, saying no to wealth and temptation. Uh, and, and it is worth saying, sometimes when you do take a stand, it does have real cost. I think we like to think, oh, if I'm brave and heroic and I take a stand... Or then I will still get the promotion, or I will still keep my job, or I will still have plenty to live on. Actually, ask Moses. Sometimes it does mean you go from the royal family to a migrant workforce shepherding livestock as the butt of Egypt's jokes. Like it was a major demotion for him um, when he chose to be allied to Jesus. Okay, let's get into our second point. Um, How did Moses and everyone else um, actually manage to live like this, choose to live like this? Well, here's the point, because the unseen God and his promised future filled their sight. The way these people made decisions when they stopped and thought and chose was not to look at the scary opponent, the anger of the king, or to look at the tempting opportunities in front of them, what they'd lose, but instead by filling their sight with God, and the future he had promised. Let's have a look, verse 26. Uh, Moses um, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. Here's this unseen future, God's promises that we saw with Abraham, this promise of a better place, a better country, better than Egypt, better than all the world can offer. Actually, not just the future, though. Look at verse 27. Also, the unseen present spiritual realities. Verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. These people saw God, saw his promises in their mind's eye. They considered him the creator king of the universe, the one who has promised to bless his people and take us home, the one who's stronger than even death itself. They stopped They thought of him, and then they chose. I don't even think that's what's going on in verse 23 with Moses' parents. Um, It it initially sounds a bit different. Verse 23, they they decided to keep the child hidden because they saw the child was beautiful. And that might kind of sound quite kind of mundane. They just really like the look of the baby, as if somehow they would have made a different decision if it wasn't quite so photogenic. But I really think that's not (laughs) what's going on at all. Um, If you look to the start of Exodus, um, there's a bigger picture here. Um, God has promised the family of Abraham will have more descendants than the sand of the seashore or the stars of the heavens. That's the promise, multiplication in this family. And then Pharaoh comes along, who's threatened by the the growth of, of God's people and has his own agenda to kill every male firstborn, to stop the growth. It is a clash of whose will will win. God's plan for many Hebrew babies, um, Pharaoh's plan to stop it. And so as this child was born, I think they saw in his face the, the promises of God being delivered. Exodus begins with God's people were being fruitful and multiplying. God's plan was happening. And then along comes Pharaoh and says, no, I will not have it. But their eyes and minds were filled with the promises of God wrapped up in this child. How could they obey the command of Pharaoh to take the blessing of life? However scary the authority. One encouragement I think is that Christian people do make these kind of choices today. Even in this church family, I realize there may be some here who feel like, oh, there are times in my past I haven't made the right choice. I can see that now. Please do talk to someone about that. The, the high priesthood of Jesus, the washing clean of his, um, his death on the cross uh, means that can be dealt with. But actually right now in this church family there are pe- people making these kind of costly decisions, choosing to prioritise Jesus and his people over the, the, the blessings or wealth or reputation the world might offer. From seemingly simple things, like a young family is growing and they decide to live in cramped accommodation so they can stay close to church and keep giving to gospel work. When they could easily ditch the giving, move out of town, even if there's no gospel church, and have a much, much bigger house. Someone who's same-sex attracted or someone who cannot find a Christian partner decides that their identity as a Christian is their top priority. So they're going to choose to live by what God says in the Bible, however hard it is. Someone with limited holiday allowance, using a week of their summer and a chunk of their bank balance to pay to go to a summer camp and lead so that young people can hear of Jesus at their expense. A teenager at school willing to say they're a Christian, willing to be laughed at, as someone who believes what the Bible says on different topics. Some people making job choices, not just on what's the salary and what's the status, but will there be opportunities to get to know colleagues in this role, or to serve, or to be part of a church still during the week? Let's get real, sometimes it's not possible to have it all. Some of these choices really hurt, were really costly, really scary. At which point our third question, and with this we'll draw to a close, our third question comes up. So this is how they made the choices. They filled their minds with God and his promises, that unseen reality that God is the big king and his promises are coming. That's how they did it, but just finally, was it really worth it? Can you really imagine doing a Moses, risking... Um, throwing some of the things away that, that, that seem so secure and, and good here and now. Well, this is where verses 28 to 31, I think, help us. We're given three different pictures in verses 28 to 31. And again, they're really stark. And I, I said it right at the start, this whole passage is quite serious. These pictures are really stark because there are three scenes. And in each one, some people are destroyed by God's judgment and others are left standing. And the difference each time is faith. Just look with me, verse 28, the first one. This is the Passover night. Um, on Passover night, God had declared that he would be bringing judgment over the whole land of Egypt and its gods. And he had provided a way to be safe uh, by sacrificing a Passover lamb and painting the door frames with blood. It was an early picture of the cross of Jesus. Now, of course, it takes faith to be willing to do that. God says, trust me, you'll be safe if you do this. You do actually have to trust him with something you can't see, this coming judgment. But Moses, verse 28, did keep the Passover, did sprinkle the blood in his household, as did the other Israelites, and they were kept safe, preserved through faith from God's judgment. Whereas Exodus records that there was crying in every house in Egypt that night, As the firstborn sons, this had been the warning, the representative heirs of each household died. Now here's the thing. If Moses had made a different choice, if Moses had chosen that actually being known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter was what really mattered, not knowing Jesus and following him, if he'd stayed in the palace and ignored God, He would have died that night. Faith may have cost him his reputation and his wealth, but actually, ultimately, it saved his life. Of course it was a good choice to make and actually it didn't just save his life once but twice because the next episode, verse 29 is the crossing of the Red Sea Uh, this is where Pharaoh did get mad raging, angry and sent his army after Moses and God's people as they're leaving Egypt I mean if you'd done the stop, think, choose and you kind of thought up some worst case scenarios this was the worst case scenario surely he's not going to chase us surely he's not going to bring an army and yes actually there he is with his entire force of chariots and horses and the army of a superpower It would look like you have no chance. And then God provided a way. Again, he preserved the people of faith as he opened the waters of the sea and Israel walked through. And he destroyed those um, in his judgment who had refused to listen to him. By this point, Pharaoh had been given many warnings and opportunities. Do you see the point? Again, it might have seemed like Moses was throwing his life away to side with Jesus and his people, to lose his reputation as Pharaoh's grandson, to lose the treasure and the wealth of Egypt. In the short term, it looked like a crazy decision. In the long term, it saved his life. It doesn't matter how much money you have if you're under the water. I assume the princes of Egypt were in the army. And this isn't just back in Exodus, Jesus himself taught this. What does it profit to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Then the third example, um, verses 30 and 31, uh, we move away from Moses now, I think to show us this is not about a leader, it's not about men, it's not about ethnicity, because we see the exact same pattern happens for a Gentile female prostitute who had faith when the Israelites came to Jericho. This is the episode where Israel um, came to the city of Jericho and they sent a couple of spies in and Rahab was hosting them as a raid came on her house to try and find these people. And she had a choice in that moment. Who am I going to side with? Side with my people or side with God's people? By this point, she'd heard of the God of the Bible, what he was capable of, and she had faith that the only safe place was with him. So she let the spies escape. And then she was rescued when Jericho fell. See the point? There are three examples, but this last one shows it's not about being an Israelite. It's not about being a leader like Moses. It's not about being a man. It's not about being an upstanding moral person. The difference between those who are saved and those who are left standing or those who are caught up by God's judgment is faith. Faith alone which means however costly it is to live by faith, that is actually the safest way to live. Just look back to chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. Uh, chapter 10, verse 38, 39. Jay read uh, one of these verses earlier. I think it's very helpful to, to see because it it's kind of starts the whole of chapter 11. God says, chapter 38, uh, sorry, I mean, uh, chapter 10, verse 38. And my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Faith may seem like one of the most costly ways to live, especially when it comes to these hard choices. It's actually the only safe way to live, ultimately. Ultimately. Not that in this life, if we make the hard choices, it will always all work out fine. Sometimes it doesn't work out fine. Sometimes we do lose the job. We do have mud on our reputation publicly. Sometimes it's really costly. But ultimately, the day that Jesus returns, no one will think, I regret living with allegiance to Jesus. We'll see more of that next week. If you want to come back, uh, we'll see how in this life, um, our experience of living by faith can be a great seeming success or a great seeming failure. But either way, eternally, it's worth it. Just finally, though, you may be sitting here thinking, well, I'm just not strong enough for this. When I see that's what the life of faith involves, these hard choices, I can see it's worth it because Jesus himself warned that we need to take up our cross and follow him, not be ashamed of him in this generation. I'm just not strong enough. If that's you, please come back in a couple of weeks. Uh, 12 verse 2 will tell us that Jesus perfects our faith. As Jay mentioned earlier, lots of our faith is very weak. We're just about holding on to trusting God. But he can help us. The point of faith is not the strength of our faith, but the strength of the one we put our faith in. And finally, as I said at the start, please let's talk together as we face these hard choices. It's very hard to do the life of faith alone. Very hard to run a marathon alone. And so let's support each other as we live with allegiance to Jesus, whatever the cost in this world. Let me pray now. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that you'd help us to uh, trust you even when circumstances are hard and particularly to listen to you even when it would be costly in decisions we face. Help us to be a church family where we do support one another in this. Help us to be wise about when um, we do need to draw lines and when we don't. And we do pray that you would fill our vision with the future. Thank you that Moses' choice was hugely vindicated. Thank you that you keep safe those who trust in you. And we pray that you give us a real confidence that, a real joy in that, like Jesus, who, for the joy set before him, though he despised the shame of the cross, nevertheless endured hostility from the world around. Help us to be willing to join him and bear some of the same um, uh, challenge that he bore.